Welcome to the Forager Podcast, where I talk with cottage food businesses about their strategies for running a food business from home. I'm David Crable, and today I am talking with Barry Sherman. Barry and his life partner, Scott, live in Tampa Bay, Florida, and they sell cookies and gelato with their business, Urban Bakers. They started out in 2018 by selling their cookies from home under Florida's cottage food law, and they have now grown into using a commissary kitchen, which allows them to sell gelato and also ship their cookies nationwide. Urban Bakers has a really fun and strong brand and is also very socially and environmentally conscious. I'm looking forward to learning exactly how they've turned drop cookies into a legit business. And with that, welcome to the show, Barry. Nice to have you here. Well, thank you, David. It's nice to be here. So, Barry, can you uh, just take us back to 2018 and why did you start this business? Yeah, so actually it extends beyond 2018. It's actually my life partner, Scott, always had aspirations of owning a cookie and ice cream dessert shop. Um, Scott was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease 16 years ago at age 34 and we both grew up in the New England area. I'm originally from Vermont State, and Scott is from like the Albany, New York area. And when we became a couple and moved to Florida in 2014, we kind of started looking at cottage food laws at that point, but didn't really do anything about it for several years. So knowing that I could help make a piece of Scott's dream a reality, without having to have a brick and mortar store was really the driving force behind looking into cottage food laws and starting Urban Bakers as a brand. Now, was this something that you had looked at when you were in New York as well? No. So I moved from Vermont State to New York City and Scott was in Albany and we didn't really think about anything to do with the business, knowing that we were coming from two different locations. So it wasn't until we moved in together and decided that we wanted to move to Florida that we thought that maybe it would be a possibility once we had a more permanent location in our future. Yeah, no, I did see the the kind of the special story behind you getting this going. And I was wondering, I mean, let's say that Scott was never diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, but he had had this dream. I, I believe you said he had this dream before he was diagnosed um, to start a cookie and ice cream business. And so I was wondering if he hadn't been diagnosed with a disease like this, do you think you would have a cookie business right now? I would like to say not only would we have a cookie business, but we would have the brick and mortar store that was always part of his, his dream. Okay. So it, it kind of slowed you down. Yeah. Or or delayed, yes. delayed the start. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's certainly notable that you guys have moved forward with it anyway, and it's, it's very special as well. So uh, congrats to, to getting this up and running and not just any kind of business, but a cookie business. I personally, when I was you know, starting to get into the cottage food space, I personally wanted to start a drop cookie business and um, found that it's actually quite difficult to do. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what you've learned and how you've been able to grow a cookie business that 
It's actually kind of on the high end of things as far as I can see from pricing. So can you talk a little bit about what what you offer in terms of flavors and what your cookies are like? Absolutely. So our current lineup consists of 36 different flavors. And I usually say that it's a, a combination of unique or classic flavors as well. So we have anything from a classic peanut butter chunk and a dark chocolate chunk and sea salt all the way through to spicy chocolate chili and we have a salt and pepper butter cookie we have root beer float flavors so the whole intention from day one when we started this was to have a a large cookie but not necessarily physically large in the sense of the size of the palm of your hand but most of our cookies are heavy between three and four ounces and there's no compromise on using as top quality ingredients as we can afford to put into our product line. Um, the other thing that was really super important to us was to be individually wrapped. And that's just a passion that we both had seeing other cottage food manufacturers out there, not necessarily doing an individual wraps uh, standpoint. And we did not go straight for a dozen in a package or half dozen in a package, but rather individually. Why was individually wrapped uh, a really strong point that you wanted to focus on? First and foremost, and this is pre-COVID as well, but just from a like sanitary perspective, how often have you gone to a, a farmer's market or a public place and you've seen open food items out for sale? And it's from my perspective, not attractive to necessarily purchase something that has been sitting there in open space. So I was really adamant about making sure that everything was sealed from a sanitary perspective. And then the other thing that was important was to allow people to pick like a variety pack. Like why, why force someone into buying half a dozen of one flavor when they could mix and match each individual cookie. And then if they decide to share, Hey, it's already wrapped and ready to go. Yep. That makes sense. And you know, another thing too, is the freshness aspect, which is a big thing for cookies in particular, because they have such a short shelf life. Does that individual wrapping prolong the shelf life of your cookies? 100%. So out of the oven into the packaging they go. And if we happen to have a market, then they are usually sold off the following day where I am fortunate enough to have a once a week pop-up experience where if the timing is right, I could feature them there as well. Or I also try to be smart about making cookies for whatever event I'm at in conjunction with any orders I've received from individuals to fulfill. So they definitely do not hang around long. And, you know, one of this is a really unique thing for your business. And I haven't I haven't actually seen this with a cookie business, but with individually wrapped packaging, there's obviously a concern of waste. But you guys have definitely countered that pretty heavily. Can you talk a little bit about your packaging? Yes. So that was a thought that we had in conjunction with a happy accident, meaning a farmer's market here in Tampa. One particular market requires that you have compostable packaging in order to participate. So we challenged ourselves to get into that market because it's really popular. And we challenged ourselves to find 
the compost materials to do it. And once we found them, we just said, hey, let's stick with this and keep it, keep it going. To be honest with you, it's, it's amazing to be able to tell people that the materials are 100% compostable, the bags as well as the labels. You know, side note, if you try to bury the cookie, you're not going to grow a cookie tree. <laughs> but you can definitely put that packaging back into the earth properly and add nutrients to the soil and start the cycle again. Yeah, that's very cool. And I mean, with the compostable packaging, I think one of the difficulties there is not only the expense, but maybe a difficulty in sourcing. So how how are you buying this? Like, where are you getting the packaging from? And how much does it cost? Yeah, I have had a difficult time looking for various vendors for compost packaging. So I have stuck with the same vendor from day one and I get them from clearbags.com. And the unique, unique thing about that is, you know, you buy in bulk, the more you buy, the cheaper they get. And for the labels, I use purelabels.com. I'm starting to see more companies that are offering the heat sealable compostable bags, but I'm still not seeing labels popping up anywhere. But I have been happy with both service providers. Clear Bags and Pure Labels have been phenomenal with shipping, with their discounts, offering sales at times. And yeah, I'm just curious. I know you're buying in bulk, so probably somebody who's brand new to the game can't attain this level of pricing. But when it all adds up, when you add the label and the individual cookie pouch, do you know what the actual per item cost is on that packaging? Yeah, we actually do have a, a breakdown of what it costs for each individual cookie, so on and so forth. But the packaging you know, depending on whether or not I buy it in bulk or if it's on sale, it all adds up to under 10 cents. Okay. Wow. That's actually really good. Yeah. It is pretty amazing. I mean, it's, that's probably more than a regular plastic package would be, but that's very reasonable. I was expecting it to be higher than that. Nope. Shockingly, but the quality of your ingredients, you know, or our ingredients, actually plays a bigger part in the, the cost factor. Well, I can understand that as well, for sure. And can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you say quality ingredients? Yeah. So, I mean, I always use vanilla as an example. I, you can walk into a local grocery store and find several different companies that manufacture vanilla flavored extract or regular vanilla, or if you walk into a specialty food store, you're going to see various kinds of uh, vanillas there as well. So I use a Madagascar vanilla and on average, it's about $100 per bottle. So it's not a cheap vanilla that's going into the product. Yeah, I think vanilla is like the most expensive, you know, pure vanilla, of course, is the most expensive product per ounce of probably any ingredient that a baker would use. But um, can you go back to when you started this and what what did you do to get your initial sales? Did you jump into a farmer's market? Were you just selling from home to family and friends? Like, how did you get this off the ground? My primary job is not urban bakers. 
and I talked about it so much at work that one of my coworkers finally said that his wife was in charge of buying food for a party and she was looking for desserts. And he put me in direct contact with her and she was our very first order outside of just making them for uh, family and friends. So I have to give the credit where credit is due. Getting a corporate order is your first big push really showed us that somebody else outside of family and friends wanted these cookies. So it was really exciting. And then through word of mouth after that, it started to pick up more and more. How big was that order? Um, It was 17 dozen. So, I mean, I think that's pretty substantial for being a first order and not really <laughs> getting things off the ground yet. For sure. Well, and so what about pricing? Like, how did you come up with a price at that point for your cookies? Our prices really have not changed drastically since 2018. I think we've done a price increase once, but that's why from my perspective, it's very important that no matter what you're manufacturing, that you keep a, a, a log of what each individual, you know, item costs for you to make. Some of them are going to be more expensive than others. And we had to factor in everything that was important to us, which was the top quality ingredients that we want to use, as well as the compostable packaging. And then if you know anything about urban bakers, you may also realize we donate a portion of our sales to charity. So we've done that from the very beginning as well. And that helped determine all of our price points. Yeah, I noticed that, you know, you're not just environmentally conscious, you're also socially conscious. Can you talk a little bit more about what goes into the the nonprofit charitable giving and what you would maybe recommend if somebody else is looking to do the same thing with their business? Yeah, so that was also a personal passion project as well, I guess. So several years before even starting Urban Bakers, my partner, again, Scott, used to make cookies for Parkinson's Awareness Month and not necessarily charge for the cookies, but would say, hey, if you donate, you know, $5, here's half a dozen cookies or whatever. And the money would just go right straight to the Michael J. Fox Foundation. So when we decided to pull the trigger on getting Urban Bakers up and running, we wanted to carry through kind of that same thought process of if you give to us, we can afford to give back to you. And the charities have all been hand-selected by Scott because they are things that are either important to him or have also affected people in his life. So currently, for instance, it's the month of November and we donate to the Pancreatic Cancer Network. And that is in honor of Scott's brother, Darren, who passed from pancreatic cancer at age 50. So every charity that is in the rotational list has meaning behind it as well. Do you find that your customers really resonate with the fact that you're giving back? I believe that speaks volumes beyond the product that we make. For example, Fox 13 did a local news segment for us. I believe it was back in June and we were donating at that point to Metro Inclusive Health. It was during Gay Pride Month and Metro 
caters to the gay and lesbian community, transgendered. And after the news segment aired, a lot of people came to support us, knowing that a portion of their sales were going back to Metro. It was an amazing boost in sales, but it was amazing to see the community support and meet people that the charity itself meant more than than the money they were spending on on the dessert items. Yeah, I definitely see that. Um, and let's talk a little bit about the the money because um, you know I noticed that your cookies are on the higher end of pricing, uh, but I think a lot of people undercharge for cookies, so you're 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 charging correctly. But how much do your cookies currently cost? Uh, we are three fifty each, or eighteen for half a dozen, or thirty three dollars for a dozen. And then if if someone was reaching out to us with bulk quantity requests, I do have have it broken down of cheaper pricing at that point. Right. So if you're going in even for a dozen cookies, you're you know just under three dollars per cookie, which is obviously a huge difference from a, a grocery store price, which you can't really compare it to. But does anyone walk in and balk at your pricing or turn around? Or have you had any pushback on the pricing that you have? Um, yes. And it's no surprise to me, I guess. Because again, like my primary job is customer service for a retailer as well. And the same thing happens there. So whether it's a globally recognized successful corporation or a local cookie dealer, I, I just expected that people would provide feedback in that respect. But the difference is you're not getting a package of Oreos or store brand cookies. So if all you're looking is to satisfy that sweet tooth craving, then I understand going to the, the local market and buying something cheap. But if you want something savory, something unique, something fun, something heavy and homemade, then, you know, nobody has really complained about paying our prices for the quality that they're getting. I don't typically see drop cookies being that successful of a business in general. And it's because people can't figure out how to charge the prices you're charging. But I think it's also because when people think about going out to get a dessert, they're thinking of maybe uh, looking for a cupcake shop or looking for ice cream. And they may not be looking for a cookie place. Have you seen that be, uh, especially before you were offering ice cream, was that a difficult challenge or hurdle to get over? No. So from the very start, I think we've just been super fortunate with being in the farmer's market circuit. I have not seen a lot of people offering individually packaged cookies. Like again, there's there's plenty of people out there who will sell them either by the pound or by the bag or in large quantities but nothing individually wrapped, which means that it can be a grab-and-go item while you're walking around the farmer's market, or you can buy several of them to take home and enjoy any which way you'd like, meaning crumble them up in your own ice cream, heat them up in the microwave, you know, have that cookie at midnight. Although we do have one complaint that our packaging is too loud. <laughs> the, the compost packaging makes <laughs> a lot of noise. But there is a solution. Just use a pair of scissors. <laughs> I did see that. And I saw that you kind of turned that on its head, too, where you, you're kind of showcasing the sound as a way to 
maybe allow people to realize why it's important to have the compostable packaging. And um, I really want to talk about the marketing and the branding because you have such a strong brand and a fun brand. Can you talk a little bit about your brand? Yeah. So that was uh, also influenced by Scott's love of mythical creatures and anything that's uh, unknown, so to speak. So is the Yeti real? Is he not real? But yet he's legendary. So I actually ran with the marketing part of it and took his passion for Bigfoot and the Yeti. And I turned to Fiverr and found somebody to vectorize it out for me. And it's Mr. Crumbles. I mean, he's bringing legendary cookies to Tampa and hopefully all over the world at some point. Yeah, so you've got this Yeti as your mascot. And I did want to ask about the design because you do a really good job with design. And I notice even in your Instagram posts, they seem to be pretty well designed even on a weekly or daily basis when you're promoting a market. Do you have someone on Fiverr do all of your design or do you have a background in design? How does that work? No, every everything is produced by me. So like if you scrolled back to the beginning of our Instagram, you would see the original Mr. Crumbles and then I tweaked him over the years and had him turned into a plush toy from Budsy's company. And we also looked at changing out the website because our original website was urbanbakers.bar, but people did not flock to the .bar extension. So we kind of went with the theme of the Yeti being the mythical creature, like findtheyeti.com. And I just have a lot of fun with the, the marketing aspect of it as if Mr. Crumbles is the one running the company. <laughs> I can I can tell that you have fun with it. And I encourage people to go to your Instagram feed because you're always dressing them up according to the season or just for, for whatever. And it looks like you do have a lot of fun with the branding. And I'm sure that translates into people loving to follow you. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's also fun too, the fact that our logo is a Yeti and I have these fabulous stickers made by sticker mule all the time and it's fun to tell people to put a yeti on your yeti so you can just have so much fun with all of it yeah well you do a very nice job with it so so congrats um i want to go back to your cookies and i was just wondering is this a recipe that scott or you already had and that's the reason why you went into this style of cookie or was it something that you developed when you were wanting to get this business off the ground? Our original cookie flavor was the peanut butter chunk. And Scott and his mom used to make cookies for everyone in the neighborhood when Scott was younger. And it just became such a popular request from him and his mother to to make cookies. And we took a couple of recipes from her and modified them a bit and ran with it from there. We started out with uh, maybe six flavors at the time and then just kept growing the flavors. So I know that you started from home, started under the Kaj food laws, and then you now have moved into a commissary kitchen. What was that transition like? It was an amazing experience because it gave us the ability to ship. 
So under Cottage Hoop off of Florida, it was always from my understanding that it has to be within the state and it's like hand-to-hand transfer, no, no shipping capabilities. So if we wanted to try to become an online presence and also, you know, grow outside of our immediate area, we decided to move into a commissary kitchen and try to make a go of it. And what, what was the process like? Was it really complicated to get into the commercial space or was it really expensive? So each commissary kitchen is going to have its own set of rules and regulations and contracts. The upfront cost wasn't necessarily expensive because we had been saving for it and we knew you know, when we sign the contract that it comes with X amount of hours per week for you to use. And the biggest surprise at that point, from my perspective, financially was the inspection and and licensing. So having to carry like the one license for farmers markets turned into two licenses. So you can also be a manufacturer. And then, you know, collecting sales tax and having that built into your your price structure which you know if you're not savvy could mean getting getting an an accountant so it really upped up the game so to speak and is your commissary kitchen connected to i think you sell at the bakery box it's like the shared space right is that all part of the same thing you are correct so the commissary kitchen that we're in is called Pro Kitchen Hub Tampa and built onto the kitchen is a pop-up experience called the Bakery Box and it is a rotational dessert spot for folks who bake in the commissary kitchen. So this is really a lot better than just any regular commercial kitchen, right? You actually have potential customers walking in or discovering you through the pop-up experience Did you have to make any adjustments when moving from the home kitchen to the commercial kitchen? Like, did you have to change how you produced your product or scale it more? Or were there any transitions in that regard? Uh, So experimentation was a big thing. Like, I discovered that you can't necessarily just take a recipe and multiply it by 10 and expect it to come out tasting the same. So I choose to do things in small small batches still and it may just mean running two stand mixers rather than one large one and then oven bake times going from a home kitchen to a professional kitchen was definitely a longer more frustrating experimental phase Um, lots of burnt cookies lots of underdone cookies lots of trash items Why was it different in the commercial ovens as opposed to your home ovens? So with the size of the cookies for urban bakers, typically you could get six on a cookie sheet in your oven at your home. (laughs) And then moving into the commissary kitchen, we can put 10 or 12 on a sheet times two or three sheets all at once. So I just think like the, the bake time and temperature was the biggest thing to to figure out. I could see that. Yeah, so it's just a much larger oven and you have to get even baking across the entire oven space. So I could see how that'd be a challenge. Now you talked about how you are now 
selling nationwide and shipping. What was it like to ship? I mean, a cookie seems like a pretty fragile item. So was there anything that you had to learn in that process? And and how do you ship your cookies without them breaking? We have boxes. I can't remember exactly the company that I get them from, but they are rectangular shaped and they come in multiple sizes. So we have the ability to ship three, six, or 12 cookies at this point comfortably in these mailers that we have selected. And if I'm shipping more than a dozen, then I look at flat rate with the post office. I wanted to make sure that the cardboard was tough enough to withstand shipping. So everything that we send out is priority number one through USPS. And number two, cardboard has to be really strong. And we've sent, you know, test batches to multiple places around the country to to make sure that they arrive in a timely fashion as well as, you know, arrive all in one piece. So packing the box and filling it entirely is part of the other piece to that puzzle. Just lots of decorative tissue paper and make sure that nothing moves. Yeah. I was wondering about like packaging material and, you know, that's usually made out of plastic. So have you gone totally compostable with that as well? So the packaging for shipping, we use cardboard mailers and tissue paper for packing, but no, no plastic products go in there. Shipping tape, still, still an issue. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, haven't found any uh any compostable shipping tape, huh? Well, there is there is paper tape with gummed back, but quite honestly, it's it's super duper expensive to to set up that part of an operation. Yeah, and how was it in transitioning to shipping? Like, did you find that a lot of people were finding your brand and buying online or have you been shipping across the country or is it mostly just locals that are finding and buying your product? It's kind of strange. It comes and goes and ebbs and flows. So if it's around a holiday time, we get a spike in sales for shipping or again, if we have a media piece, we tend to get more attention, which promote shipping. And then 2020 has been a rough year with COVID. So we've seen more shipping, even if it's just a couple of miles away from here or from the commissary kitchen, we have had a lot of local shipping lately. Yeah. So I did want to ask about the pandemic. I know most retail shops have been hit pretty hard. What has it been like for you guys to deal with the pandemic? The bakery box has actually been the one thing that has sustained us at this point. So the farmer's market circuit was all completely shut down. And then at one point we had difficulty finding butter, eggs, flour. So we were able to do some bartering with other folks for like a bag of flour or for a bag of sugar. And then able to still produce in the kitchen and still sell through the bakery box once the state of Florida lifted some of the restrictions. So that has really carried us through. And now the farmer's markets have started to reopen. So we are making in-person appearances as well, which is nice. 
And you said that this isn't a full-time job, right? Like you have another job as well? Correct. How are you able to manage your time between having a job and having this business? I think you just, it, it would be like words of advice to anybody who wants to start any type of business. You just have to have the passion for it and realize that, you know, time is just a number on a clock. If you, if you have the passion and you want to do this, you're just going to do it. So even after my eight, nine, 10 hour full-time work days, I still just go into cookie mode as soon as I'm off the clock there and just get done what I need to get done without sacrificing quality or, you know, even, even thinking about it. It's kind of like autopilot because this is a representation of who I am. Have you ever considered just going into the cookie business full-time, jumping ship and leaving the job? Well, again, 2020 has put a damper on any any thoughts of going in that direction. I do feel very fortunate in the sense that at the end of the day, if we had to postpone production or take a break, the overhead of a brick and mortar is not there. And that is, again, words of advice is one of the blessings of cottage food manufacturing. If you can't afford to do it at the moment, then, you know, really what is your overhead cost coming out of your own household? So I am not looking at taking any kind of leap at the moment to to do this full time. Has the pandemic actually caused you to consider maybe reverting back to the cottage food space? We have talked about that. However, we do have some exciting projects in the making for 2021 that that may prevent us from having to do that. So we we meaning Urban Bakers has been selected for inclusion in the Super Bowl 55 business conduct resource guide. So we were one of the 200 companies chosen as an approved supplier for Super Bowl. Wow. Now, what would that mean in terms of like, do you have an idea for what kind of quantity you'd be looking at there? I do not at this point in time, simply because everything is so fluid and up in the air with with COVID affecting every aspect of business. I just know when it comes to big events, like and if you think even about a state fair, you go to a state fair, you see people selling and you don't realize like how difficult it is to sell at a state fair and to prepare for that influx of orders. So is that something you're concerned about or thinking about in getting chosen for this? I'm concerned because time is running out. If Super Bowl does happen as predicted and as scheduled in February, it would be nice to know with as much notice as possible to, to be able to start thinking about production. And that ties back to talking about things like getting the proper amount of labels and good quantities of heat sealable bags. And do I need to temporarily hire some, some help, you know, or get people through security clearance for credentials to help out the day of the event. So everything is so fluid at the moment that it makes it really difficult to think about what the future is going to be. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, you know, it's kind of amazing to just think about you started with this idea and you haven't even 
left your job yet. Um, you've, you've been doing this on the side and look where it's leading you, right? I mean, you would have probably never imagined this kind of opportunity coming along and maybe it won't pan out because, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but just the fact that it's a possibility is pretty exciting. You are 100% correct because the journey started out at home and then we had an invite to sell at an in-store experience with Williams uh, Sonoma when they used to invite community members into their stores to to sell making their own products. And then we've been fortunate enough to do a pop-up experience with Lush Cosmetics. And so we've participated in Dessert Wars and little by little, we've just made it to the point where we are also a diverse owned business. I am certified with the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. And we have been pushing forward and finally one of the 200 select companies as a supplier potentially for the NFL. So it has all happened quickly. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Now, you mentioned, just mentioned talking about stores. Have you, I don't know if you were selling like at a table or something or at a booth in the store, or have you actually tried to put your products into stores or on store shelves? We have experimented both ways. So the in-store experiences, I was there with tables. So you will see that like on my Instagram feed as well. So for William Sonoma, Lush, I was there, part of their woodwork. I have also tried wholesale experiments with a local shop. As of now, it has not flourished into anything that is going to be ongoing. But it is interesting to, to see the success from both perspectives. And I think I say that because if I'm there and I have something to explain to people, then the excitement is there as, as well. And people are more apt to buy versus if they're just wholesale and put on the shelf next to another product. It's not as appealing or you may just not even be thinking about buying a cookie. Um, you were just talking about Instagram and I, I did want to ask you about, I, I noticed that you seem to be focused on Instagram and not on Facebook. Is there a reason why you kind of promote on Instagram over Facebook or instead of Facebook? Yeah, I don't really know too much about the Facebook platform for selling. I'm the first person to admit that. And I always have to, you know, wonder if I myself don't necessarily find the value in surfing it. Why would I try to promote myself on there? So I probably need to change my thought process on that a little bit and do a little bit more research. But um, that was shocking to me getting into business in the first place is that, you know, I manufacture cookies, but it probably takes 10 to 15% of my time to actually do the manufacturing. Everything else is the marketing, the promoting, the packing up and going to a market, the, you know, bookkeeping. It can be strenuous. For sure. I I had to learn that as well. You know, when I started, I had no idea that the marketing was like 75% of the job, right? So 
It's um, something everyone has to learn at some point, but you've done a really good job with the marketing though. So um, kudos to that. And in regards to Instagram, it sounds like it maybe isn't such an intentional thing, but I have seen a lot of business owners that do really well on Instagram and Instagram's kind of taking over Facebook, especially for this kind of visual branded space, like a food business. So I do see a lot of people, they try to get on everything and it doesn't work so well. So maybe it's working for you to be on Instagram. So you might not need Facebook or to complicate your business and marketing plan. Yeah. And I feel like Instagram too is, is like the, the instant gratification through your, your own news feed, like of knowing, Oh, Hey, I didn't know Barry was there today. So boop, it pops up and then you're, you're good to go versus, you know, if you put all this work into advertising on a different platform and you put it out there for a week, somebody's going to forget six days later. So I just like the instantaneous notification. I did want to talk a little bit more about your product. So you have cookies, obviously, and you also have branched into vegan cookies. I saw that. And it looks like you're, you're moving into even some more specializations. Can you talk about that? Yes. So when we first started, we just wanted to do, you know, traditional, good, old-fashioned fattening cookies. And then it literally took years to make the consideration to jump into some some vegan options. So after being approached multiple times at multiple different farmers markets asking for us to do a vegan cookie, that's <laughs> that's when we decided to actually do it. And it actually wasn't that difficult as long as, you know, we still like the flavor. So currently we have three vegan flavors in our lineup. So this wasn't from you. This really just came from listening to your customers. Yes, 100%. Or your potential customers, I should say. Maybe maybe the lost customers, <laughs> the people who, who didn't want your product. And I, I actually noticed that your vegan cookies are the same price as your regular cookies. And I was surprised about that. Why did you decide not to mark up the vegan cookies? I don't want to mark up any any of the cookies. It's It's kind of like a, you know, it's a love loss type of situation, meaning I might make a really good profit on something as simple as a sugar cookie, but I might lose profit on the vegan. Same thing with anything that has nuts in it. Macadamia nuts are not cheap. So I make very little on that, but I might make a good amount on like a snickerdoodle. So I believe it all balances out in the end and I don't want any one person to pay more than another. The only category of cookie that I think would change our price structure would be uh, the CBD options. And that's simply because adding CBD is just so much more expensive. Now, you obviously are mainly a cookie business, but you added on gelato. And I think that's just based on your original vision. So what what was the thought process or the experience like, or what did you learn from having to add gelato to the mix? Yeah, we experimented over the summer months, especially when foot traffic got really slow with COVID. The goal was to not ever have to waste any cookies if we don't have to. So if things didn't sell, we were 
unpackaging them, crushing them up and mixing them into gelato. So we went with a, like a deep dark chocolate gelato and then a classic vanilla and then crushed up cookies, put them in there and hand, hand packed half pints and pints. It was really fun to do and amazing to see how much more people enjoy having like the gelato or ice cream alongside the cookie. So I could definitely see the vision in the future of being able to have the two side by side, but it's not something that we, we don't currently do it on a regular basis. Is this gelato something that you are sourcing from a commercial distributor? No, no, we were making it ourselves in the commissary kitchen, small batch, 10 to 12 pints at a time. Was this something that you've made a lot in the past or was it just a total learning process to add that in? Totally a fun experimental learning process. Gelato, a little bit different than ice cream. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's unique from my perspective. Like I don't really see going into a lot of gelato shops and having pieces of stuff in the gelato, whether it's, you know, chocolate or candy cookies, so on and so forth. So it's, it's really been fun. Now, I, I did want to ask about your labels. I noticed that you put QR codes on your labels. And I was wondering, I don't actually even know where the QR codes lead to. But why do you put the QR codes on the labels? And have you found that to be effective? Yeah, it leads directly to our website. And that has been there since we were cottage food manufacturers as well. I just think it's kind of strange that it took a pandemic to make QR codes a thing again. <laughs> but I've always liked them for the the simple fact that if you know any smartphone camera picks up that QR code when someone's taking a photo, it's going to automatically pop up with where it's supposed to take you. So even if you try to take a fun fun photo with my cookie in it and the camera catches the QR code, you're heading to my website. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, they were really falling out of favor for a while there. And then the pandemic hit and boom, you're seeing QR codes all over the place. Yeah, I've always been a fan. I think it's a great way to like hide information, so to speak. It's like I'm packing a, a hidden box. Do you have any stories as you think back on the last few years and doing this that jump out at you as being kind of very memorable or special that will always stick with you? Well, I honestly feel like the experience that I'm having right now being able to reflect on all of it from the beginning is what's most memorable. You're allowing me to just kind of timeline what we have been challenged with and what we've made it through so far. I mean, literally from home kitchen to in-store experiences, to pop-ups, to farmer's markets, to news pieces, to Super Bowl approved vendor. Like, it's amazing. I, I don't know how to put it into words to, to know how good it feels to be supported by a community. The most exciting part about running the business in general is to know that I make a product that should and I think most definitely does make people happy. Nobody is coming to complain to me about, you know, my chocolate or, ew, this cookie tastes bad. 
Like, I just don't get that kind of response. I'm overwhelmed with joy and watching people enjoy the product that I make. Those, those are my stories. Yeah, no. And, and a lot of people don't see that all that went into, you know, getting your business to this point, people just show up and see a cookie and, and, and take it, but there's so much that goes into it and you really encapsulated it nicely right there. Um, so we've talked about where you've been and you've, you've done so much. What about in the future? Where do you see this going in a year or five? Wow. I wish I had a crystal ball. I could just pull out of my back pocket right now and give you a solid, clear answer. But, uh, Quite honestly, I am walking that tight tightrope, waiting to see what's around the corner with with the pandemic. Right now, I feel like Urban Bakers is in a good spot to be comfortable with being able to sustain, you know, itself and and just pay the bills and look for better things on the horizon. So, I'm hoping in a perfect world, five years from now, we will see a brick and mortar store where you will be coming in for that dessert cookies and ice cream and oh by the way pick up half a dozen for the office or oh ship ship a dozen home to mom that's the dream but as far as you know telling you what is there for sure that is a great question that I don't have an answer to well you know actually it wasn't so much of what you think is going to happen, but more like what you would like to have happen. So it sounds like, you know, the goal, the vision is to move into a brick and mortar shop and, and make this uh, a full-time thing. Yeah. My goal actually, it's funny that you say that would be to have like a tiny, tiny retail walk up and grab and go type window, similar to the bakery box, but of my own in a high volume, high foot traffic area. That would just be amazing. That's where I would like to be. And it sounds like when you say tiny, that you maybe don't want this to be a multi-location, large business. Is that, am I reading into that correctly? For my vision at this point in time, you are correct. I, I wouldn't want multiple locations if I'm not able to oversee them. And I know that's something that I'm working on to give up a little bit and delegate some responsibilities to other people or give up some self-control. But right now I feel so protective of what I make that I don't foresee having multiple locations because I would want to know what's going on all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I appreciated hearing about your business today and hearing all that you've been through. And it looks like you have some exciting opportunities on the horizon. I hope they pan out for you. Uh, but I, I really wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Now, if somebody is looking to reach out to you or find you, how can they get in touch? Uh, you can head over to our website, findtheyeti.com, or you can hit us up on Instagram at urban underscore bakers, or simply send us an email, urbanbakers at icloud.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for hopping on today, Barry. I I learned a ton and I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. That wraps up another episode of the Forger podcast. It's cool to see how Urban Bakers has grown over just a few short years 
And for someone interested in starting a drop cookie business, this seems like a really good business model to follow. If you are thinking about starting a cookie business or any kind of cottage food business, head on over to forger.com to check out your state's cottage food law. For more information about this episode, go to forger.com slash podcast slash 25. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.